And unfortunately, Krista couldn't be with me. Jeremiah is sick. Uh, we, he goes by both names. I think he's eventually just going to answer to everything that we, every word that we throw out, I think he's just gonna eventually going to answer to all of it. Um, but we call him Jeremiah, Grizzly, Grizz, and everything. But um, yeah, he's sick this morning. And so pray for him. Keep him in your prayers if you would. Um, keep Krista in your prayers as she's dealing with him today as well. Because we all know a fussy baby is not a happy baby. So, or a sick baby, excuse me, is not a happy baby. Amen. This morning, I, I come with um, an intentional word, and I, and I pray that you'd receive it today. Um, this is one that, that I've, I've wrestled over, I've thought, I've thought over, I've prayed over, and, uh, and I pray that this would, would help someone today. Um, there's someone today in this place, maybe a few who've been fighting a war for your family that's decided to walk away from God, and you're fighting for them to, to make their way back to church. There may be a couple people today who are fighting against the bondage of sin, or maybe you're fighting for your marriage today. Maybe you're warring today after a ministry or a purpose that God has called you to. I want to speak today to someone who, in their big moments of faith, they hear God speak to them. They, in their big moments of faith, they feel God giving them a promise. They see a fulfillment from God. And I want to speak to this person because I know what it's like in those big faith moments to know and to hear the voice of God and to know that there's been a promise given to me, but then to open my eyes and look around and, and, and realize almost immediately that this is nowhere near what the promise is to me. There's, there's, and, and I don't even understand how, and I, can't, I don't get how this could come to pass. And, and so I have, we, have to, we have to measure our faith versus what our, our circumstance actually looks like. And there's people today who have experienced those moments with God and where God promised family members would come back. And as you look at those family members, you... They couldn't be further away from God at this moment. And maybe there's someone today who in the midst of your brokenness and your pain and your sin that, that God promised redemption, God promised forgiveness. And yet, you look at your life, you look at the broken pieces, and you can't even remember when the last time you had faith was. You look back and you can't remember where you lost your heart to worship. And you feel that brokenness and you look around and say, there's no way... That God could put me back together. I want to speak to you today, and I want to encourage you. Whatever you are battling today, whatever you're fighting against, I believe that at the end of the service, God will, will give us the faith necessary to see the fulfillment of His promise come to pass. Amen. So today, with the help of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to get right into it, because I believe that God has a purpose today. I want to preach for a few moments on the war for the promise. The war for the promise. If you would put your Bibles down, lift your hands, and let's pray and ask God to have his way. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I give you praise and honor. God, I love you, and I ask today that you would use me today. Let me be anointed to speak your word. God, I pray that no one would hear me speak, God, but they would, they'd feel your heart. They'd feel your spirit, Jesus. And I pray today that the bondages of sin and, and brokenness would be cast off today. God, I pray that at the end of the service we'd have faith to pray for our family members, God, that we'd see faith and have faith to trust you and believe you, God, that you are good and that you're in control and that you have all power in your hand. Let me be your sounding board today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, I'm sorry. Shake, shake someone's hand. Then you can be seated. First Kings chapter 20. Verses 1 through 43 tells us of a, a war that took place between 
the king of Syria and King Ahab of Israel. Now to put this in context, at this time, the two kingdoms of Israel had been split, right? Split between Judah and Israel. And King Ahab led led the kingdom of Israel, and King Ahab led his people in sin and unrighteousness, and he led his own house in sin. This is the same Ahab that two chapters previously saw the fire of God fall on Mount Carmel as Elijah prayed and enslaved the, the prophets of Baal, which that is the, the idol that Elijah himself followed and him and his, his home followed. And God uses this text despite Ahab's wicked and sinful ways. And he uses this text and uses this chapter to teach us some incredible principles, some very strong and powerful principles that we need to, to hear and understand and believe if we're going to war for our promise, if we're going to war for our families, if we're going to war for our lives and our salvation and the salvation of others. And I'm going to read, and I won't read all of it, but I'm going to read some of this because I realized a little while ago that the Scripture is always said better than I can say it. So I'm just going to read the Scripture and allow the Scripture to minister, and I'll say something, hopefully, that helps somebody. Hopefully it's important, and hopefully it's not dumb. Let's put it that way. Amen. In 1 Kings 20 and verse 1, Benadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts together. And there were thirty and two kings with him and horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to, to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. And the messengers came again and said, Thus speaketh Ben-Hadad, saying, Although I have sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy gold and thy wives and thy children, yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time, and they shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants. And it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put in their hand and take it away. Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Mark, I pray you and see how this man seeketh mischief, how, for how he sent to me for my wives and for my children and for my silver and for my gold, and I denied him not. And all the elders and all the people said unto him, Hearken not unto him, nor consent. Wherefore Ahab sent unto messengers unto Benedad, Tell my lord the king that all that thou, thou didst send for thy servant at the first I will do, but this thing I may not do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. And Benedad said unto him, and said, The gods do so unto me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for the handfuls for all the people that follow me. And the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, Let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. Benadad looked at the king Ahab and said, I have so many soldiers that there's literally not enough dust in the land to fill all their palms, and yet you deny and defy me. But Benadad assembled this massive army. To fight against a small and number Israel. He boasts in verse 10, I have more people than you have dust. Benadad often used and often utilized tactic and warfare in those days. By sending a messenger to avoid warfare, to avoid bloodshed, he sent a messenger and said, Give, I require you to pay me for your blood so that I don't have to spill it. You must pay me. You must submit yourself to me. Ahab responds to the first request and rolls over says, okay, I'll pay the price. He obliged Abinadad's request to avoid the fighting, avoiding the bloodshed, avoiding a war. 
But Benadad's thirst for conquest and domination doesn't stop there. He tells Ahab that he knows the first request was met. And Ahab would send payment to his wife, of his wives and his gold and of his silver. But Benadad changed the requirements of the agreement and told Ahab that his servants would come into his house and take all that Ahab thought to be of value. Ahab just simply couldn't agree to this price. See, this tactic that Benadad used is often utilized by the enemy of your soul. He boasts the size and number of his army. He gloats over us that he has possession and that he outnumbers us significantly. And the devil often calls us and says, we can be at peace here. Just send me your promise. Just give me your faith and I won't, I won't have any bloodshed. And all too often, we give in. We weigh the promise of our faith versus the current circumstances that we can see and feel. And before God even has a chance to do a miracle, we fold. But the issue is the nature of our enemy. See, just like Benedict, our enemy's thirst is never quenched. Sin in our lives, brokenness, lack of purpose, lack of joy, and lack of fulfillment are all goals of the enemy, but they don't stop there just as they are. The enemy says, no, I won't just have those things, but I'm going to take more. I'm going to come into your life, and I'm going to steal the things that you care about. If we're not careful, we fall into this trap. If we're not careful, we fall into this compromise from the enemy. And he comes into our lives and he says, I'm taking more than you ever thought that you would give up. But I'm here to preach today to someone who has not fallen into this compromise, to someone who hasn't given up today. I'm here to preach to someone who had faith enough to stand to look the enemy in the face and said, you know what, just like Ahab said, to his enemy, you've got to get off your horse and fight me. Someone here today has said, I'm not giving up my promise that easily. I'm not giving up my family that easily. You're going to have to get off your horse, devil, and you're going to have to fight me for it. You're going to have to come take it from me. We need someone here today who will turn to your circumstance and say, my circumstance, you may have control, you may have the numbers. But somewhere in my heart, I know that greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Is there someone here today who isn't willing to fold at the first sign of compromise? Is there someone here today who's willing to stand up and fight for the promise that they felt God lay on their heart in their big moments of faith? Is there someone today who will have faith? Is there someone today who will trust in the Lord? Verse 13 goes on and says, And behold, there came a prophet unto Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou seen all this great multitude? Kind of a silly question. <laughs> have you seen all that's out there? So the prophet comes and says, have you seen all the men he has? God goes on and speaks through his prophet. He says, behold, I will deliver it into thine hand this day. Listen to this. And, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Big moment of faith, right? Incredible moment where God delivers a promise, delivers a prophecy to the, to the king saying, I will conquer this vast army and give it to your hand so that you know who I am. And what's Ahab say in verse 14? He says, by whom? He essentially asks, who's going to do this? You say you're going to conquer, but by whom? By whom? By whose hand are you going to deliver these into my hand? See, he's met with a promise. He's met with faith. And I don't know, maybe the, in the beginning it was less faith and more pride because we know Ahab was a little sinful. But he had a big moment. And then he probably went back to his, to his home and thought about, 
I don't actually know who is going to fight this battle. I, I told him he's got to come fight me, and I'm afraid actually if he does, I'm not going to have anybody to fight with him with. <laughs> the prophet answers and says, even by the young men of the princes of the provinces. And still, okay, he gets his answer. Ahab has another question. Then he said, who shall order the battle? And he answered, thou. See, understand this principle <laughs> that Ahab stood in a moment of faith and said, you're going to have to find me for it. And God said, I'll provide, I'll make a way. But he still doubted. He still didn't have faith enough. The, the principle we've got to take from this, the truth we've got to understand is that the prophet answered wisely when he said, well, who's going to even gather the people to fight such a large army? How can I encourage these people to do such a great thing? Right? And the prophet answers and says, you've got to do it. And the truth is, when you're warring for your promise, there's no one else who's going to war for you. Mom and dad may have a prayer closet. Grandma and grandma may have a prayer closet. You may have prayer warriors on your side. But there comes a point where you've got to find your prayer closet. There's got to be a point where you find the face of God and you seek his face. And you say, God, I'm going to war. And I don't care how many I have behind me. I know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. No matter what it looks like, no matter how many few, how few people are on my side, no matter how few prayer warriors I have, no one will fight that battle for you. You have to fight that battle. You've got to go to war over your promise. In verse 15, it says, King Ahab numbered the young men of the princes of the provinces, and they were 232. And after them, he numbered all the people, even all the children of Israel, being 7,000. So King Benadab says, I've got enough soldiers that I could pick up all the dust in your city and you wouldn't even have enough dust. I'd have, I'd have empty palms of my warriors. And King Ahab has 7,000 people to send to war. <laughs> but there's something about a promise. There's something about when God steps in. There's something about when God says, uh, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what the circumstances may be. He says, I'm on your side. Because what Scripture tells us in verse 16 and 19 says, the princes begin the battle against Benadad and the 32 kings. And verse 20 tells us that they slew everyone his man. And the Syrians fled. And the Israels, and Israel pursued them. And Benadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the horsemen. God delivered this great multitude into the hand of Ahab. And it even sounds like it was easy. One for one, we just continued to mow them down. Right? And it says, and it's left for that, but then there's a, there's a warning that comes. And in verse 22, it says, And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said, Go, strengthen thyself and mark and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come up against thee. You see, it's the nature of our enemy to be relentless. See, the enemy in our life truly doesn't have the power that he boasts that he does. He truly doesn't. He may have a lot on his side, but he doesn't have the power that he thinks he does. But it is his nature to be relentless. And so after Israel destroys Syria and they flee and they run, King Benadab says it goes back to a land and he finds his counselors in verse 23. He says, the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, their gods are God of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And do this thing. Take the kings away, every man out of his place, and put captains in the rooms. And number thee an army like the army that thou hast lost, horse for horse, and chariot for chariot. And we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And he hearkened to their voice and did so. And it came to pass 
at the return of the year that Benadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. Because there will be times, there will be seasons where we will win battles in this war against our enemy. And we will send him fleeing for the hills. We'll see, see him fleeing for his life. But his relentless nature does not mean that he's done yet, but he will return. He'll come again. He'll bring an army just as strong as before, but with more courage because he's changed the place of the battlegrounds. You see, before you fought him in your prayer closet, before you fought him when you had confidence knowing that God is for me, but he'll find a different place to attack you. He'll find a different place in your life to come after you. He'll say, you know what? Before you had a prayer closet, before you had relationships, but now I'm going to try to separate you from these I'm going to try to get these people away from you. I'm going to find you at your lowest part. And he'll have confidence. He'll say, because I'll change the battleground in which we will fight. And I will be stronger than they. And verse 27 says, And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went in against them. And the children of Israel, catch this, pitched before them like two little flocks of kids. But the Syrians filled the country. See, he'll change the landscape. He'll change the battleground where up on the hill you can only see some of the problems and it all felt good and everything was okay. But he'll change the battlegrounds and come to you when you're not as strong, when you're in your weakest point and where you can see the vast army filling the valley. See, we have to remind it that sometimes the second battle is often more intimidating than the first. Past success does not always lead to confidence. It should, but it sometimes does not. Verse 28, and there came a man of God <laughs> and spake unto the king of Israel and saith, said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, because that reason, I will deliver all this great multitude all this great multitude into thine hand and ye shall know that I am the Lord. We have to be reminded that our God is not just God of the hills, but he is also God of the valleys. Ancient civilizations believed that their gods were territorial so that when they moved the battleground that their God would give them strength over another God. That they would have the upper hand. But take heart, our God is not just in control when we are in the church building, but He is God of our homes. He is God of our workplace. He is God of our cities. He's not just God at times when we're on top of the hills, when everything is going well, but He is God also of the valley. He's God also when we're depressed. He's God also when we're broken. He's God also when we can't see past the army of the enemy. He's also God in those moments. He is God both of the hills and God of the valleys. He's still God when we're hurting. He's still God when we're oppressed and broken. See, this is so powerful what God says in verse 28 because by worshiping Baal, by Ahab leading all of his kingdom, Israel, to worship Baal, Israel had made a statement that their God was just like every other God. But God made a statement in verse 30, 28. He says, because they believe this, that if they just change the place of the battleground, I won't have as much strength. He said, I will show you. I will show them who I am in my strength and my power. God says, I'm going to show you that I am God no matter where the battle takes place. And, it is, and the God's intent was saying that I'm going to show Israel. That even though your theology is all messed up, and we sometimes get our theology all messed up thinking, well, God can't move in this situation. God can't 
can't be in control here or there. Or God's kind of, I don't know how this person's going to get out. God is showing them and will show you that it doesn't matter where the battle takes place. It doesn't matter who the battle takes place with. That our God is in control. The God of the hills and God of the valleys. Verse 29, and they pitched one over against the other seven days. And so it was that in the seventh day the battle was joined. And the children of Israel slew of the Syrians a hundred thousand footmen in one day. Don't tell me my God can't overcome a family member who's opposite to him. Don't tell me my God can't heal a sickness that the doctors say he can't heal. Don't tell me that he can't do it. Because in one day, one hundred thousand footmen. And verse 30 goes on and says, but the rest... The rest fled to Aphek into the city, and there, come on now somebody, a wall fell on the 27,000 other people. Don't tell me that God isn't control. Don't tell me that God isn't big enough. Don't tell me that God isn't strong enough. Don't tell me that He can only take care of these problems and not these. My God is the God of the hills. My God is the God of the valleys. My God is in control. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, my God is in control. Amen. 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 Take courage. Why? Because the Bible tells me that God cannot tell a lie. So if my God, what does this have to do with the the warmth of promise? If my God promised you something, that means that it will come to pass. If my God gave you in a moment of faith, because that's the problem. Sometimes we think that, oh, that's just a big moment of faith, and that was my flesh. Don't ever say that about when God speaks to you. When God speaks to you, it is in faith, and it is His Spirit, and it is His will. And if He promises it to you, He cannot lie, and it will come to pass. Because if my God promised you that your sons and daughters would come back to Him, He cannot lie. It's no longer a matter of if, it's only a matter of when. If God promised you forgiveness and restoration, it doesn't matter how how bad your past looks. It doesn't matter how littered your past is with sin and brokenness. My God cannot lie. And if He promised it, He will forgive. He will mend the brokenness. If my God called you into ministry, take that to the bank and believe God for it, that He cannot lie. If God called you out of darkness, in your faith be assured that He will pull you out of that darkness and into His marvelous light. No matter what your circumstance looks like, no matter how great the number and the opinion of this apostate and broken world, our God has promised to redeem whosoever will call on His name. You may be looking at your mountain. You may be looking at your circumstance and your problem, and your faith may be waning, but trust in the promise. Trust in the Word of God. Trust Him today. Amen? There's a quote that I want to show you that will challenge you, because I have daily been met in my war, as I war for my promise, I've been met with this challenge. It's quote by James Stewart. It says, It is a glorious phrase of the New Testament that he led captivity captive. The very triumphs of his foes, it means he used for their defeat. He compelled their dark achievements to subserve his end and not theirs. They nailed him to the tree, not knowing that by that very act they were bringing the world to his feet. They gave him a cross, not guessing that he would make it a throne. They flung him outside the gates to die, not knowing that in that very moment they were lifting up all the gates of the universe to let the king of glory to come in. They thought to root out his doctrines, not understanding that they were implanting imperishably in the hearts of the men the very name they intended to destroy. They thought they had defeated God with his back up against the wall, pinned and helpless and defeated. They did not know that it was God himself 
who tracked them down. He did not conquer in spite of the dark mystery of evil, but he conquered through it. You may discern that this obstacle in front of you is too great. This promise is is too far away, that there's too much standing in your way, and that it's too great for you to move around, to maneuver around it. That's a good thing. God doesn't intend for you to circumnavigate the problem. God is looking for people who will go into their war room and say, I don't care what mountain is in front of me. I'll conquer through it. Just as Jesus conquered through darkness, I'm not willing to give up my promise. I'm not willing to give up my faith. Know that when you go to war, that my God goes before you and that your God fights your battles. Amen. Amen. I I wish someone right now would stand to their feet and just believe God for a promise. I wish that someone right now would tell tell the the enemy of your soul, if if we could stand to our feet right now, let's lift our hands and let's let faith rise in this place. Let's take the hold of that promise. Whatever it is, whatever God led you to, whatever God gave to you that one time, that seems so far off. Let's believe God right now. In the name of Jesus, I feel faith rising in this place, God, that there are people willing to conquer through their darkness, conquer through their pain and circumstances. God, I pray right now that faith would rise. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray you may be seated. Amen. I believe that God is going to do something great here today. I believe that God's going to change situations, change circumstances today. But this story is far from over. So Benadad left, fled to the city. And his servants met him in verse 31. It says, his servants said unto him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us pray thee, put sackcloth on our loins and ropes upon our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Peradventure. He will save thy life. So they girded themselves with sackcloth on their loins and put ropes on their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, Thy servant Benadad saith, I pray thee let me live. And he saith, Is he yet alive? He is my brother. Now the men did diligently to observe whether anything would come from him and did hastily catch it. And they said, Thy brother Benadad. Then he said, Go ye, bring him. So he caught it. They caught that little nugget. My brother, bring him to me. King Ahab said, Let me talk to him. Benadad came forth to him and, and caused him to come up into the chariot. Chariot, excuse me. And Benadad said unto him, The cities which my father took from thy father I will restore. And thou shalt make streets for thee in Damascus, as my father made in Samaria. Then said Ahab, I will send thee away with this covenant. So he made him a covenant with him and sent him away. And just like that, the war was over. Just like that, there was peace. The kings made an alliance said, I'll give you land that was stolen from you years before. You can have it back. They chose peace instead of destruction, more bloodshed. They chose, and Benedict and 32 other kings said, it's better for us to make an alliance than for all of us to die because they know that this is happening. And by all means, this seems like a great victory for Israel. To overcome these insurmountable odds, 127,000 people killed in a matter of days by the hands of 7,000 Israelites. An incredible victory, but by and by all standards, we would look and say, that's amazing. But don't be fooled by compromise. We skip down to verse 38. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way and disguised himself with ashes upon his face. And as the king passed by, he cried unto the king and said, Thy servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside and brought a man to me and said, Keep this man, keep this man, and by any means he is missing, then then shall thy life be for his life, or else this they should, excuse me, thou shalt pay a talent 
of silver. And as thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And the king of Israel said to him, Thou, or so shall thy judgment be. Thyself hast decided it. And he hasted and took the ashes away from his face. And the king of Israel discerned that he was of the prophets. And he said to him, Thus saith the Lord, Because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore thy life shall go for his life and thy people for his people. God would pronounce judgment on Ahab and Israel because the promise and the prophecy was not fulfilled. Sure, Ahab had peace now. He would have had land back that that the Syrians took from him. But be careful with compromise. Don't be fooled by peace in and of itself. Be wary to make a deal with the devil because when God speaks, the words he chooses are very accurate and very precise and intentional. And he spoke to Ahab and said, I will give you all of them into your hands. Soldiers, chariots, horses, kings, and counselors were to be delivered into the hand of Ahab. And the language is important. But God spoke to me when I read this. And I believe that someone needs to hear this principle today that will change your life, that will change your circumstance, that the fulfillment of the promise is not found in just deliverance or peace. The promise is found in dominion. See, if you have the addiction in your life, the promise is not just that the chains of addiction will fall off your life, but that there is joy, that there is purpose, that there is restoration from that burden of sin and brokenness. Because Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not to, but for to, kill, to seal, to kill and destroy. He says, but I am come to give them life that they may have it more abundantly, the more abundant life that Jesus is talking about is not a life of winning battles here and there, but it is a life of dominion over the flesh. It is a life of dominion over sin and over addiction and pain and brokenness. It is a life, it is a promise of dominion. See, God promised you your family, promised you your daughters and your sons and your family members, your husband or your wife will come back to relationship with him. Don't be fooled by compromise when one or two decide to find themselves at an altar because the fulfillment of a promise of a family restored is that all your family is your nieces, your nephews, your brothers, your sisters, your entire family back in church. That is what dominion looks like. Not saying, oh, I'll compromise when I get one or two, but every single one of them sitting on the pews of this church worshiping the same God that I worship. That is what dominion looks like. God may have called you to a ministry and don't compromise and accept just the pulpit. But I'm believing for apostolic authority and power. I'm believing for dominion over devil's sickness to leave miracles, signs, and wonders to take place in your midst. I'm believing that. I'm believing for breakthrough. I'm believing for dominion over our enemy. Receive this today. Receive what I'm about to say because I... I was wary of saying this. A $90,000 remodel of a church building is no small task. And you may be tired now. And you may feel weary and broken down. But be careful not to make an alliance with the current condition. 
It may seem peaceful now that the, that the remodel is done, that you're in the new building. It may, it may seem peaceful. It may seem like we've got all the things that we were supposed to get. We kinda, we've won this deal. We've won this compromise. But you have to understand that the promise and the fulfillment of that promise of an apostolic church is not that this territories or the, of this community and of our world would be divided between what the church owns and what the, the prince of the power of the air has authority over, but the promise for Crossroads, the promise for this apostolic church is that you would have not have a new building, not have a new, a new community, new neighbors that are still left in the same brokenness, in the same sin that we saw back at Wheeling Street, but the promise of an apostolic church is given to Peter when Jesus sent him upon this rock. Will I build my church? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Meaning that the brokenness in this community, the pain that people feel, they, the devil can't hold them any longer. If we fulfill the promise, if we fulfill the promise, if we fulfill the promise, those people who are broken, who are hurting, will feel that love, will feel that same power that you feel on a weekly basis. That's Don't, don't compromise. Don't settle. Don't settle for what the enemy wants to give up now because he's trying to make a deal with you. Hear this today. Please hear me. Hear me. Don't settle when the devil tries to give you one or two family members back. The truth about that statement, this church, that the gates of hell should not prevail against it, means that, that the devil is in nature defensive. He sits on the, on the defensive. He doesn't go out and steal. He doesn't go out. He doesn't have the authority to do that. He he seeks to do it, but he doesn't have the authority to take people out of their their homes. And but he seek, but he coerces people to walk behind the gates. Think about that for a minute. He coerces people and their personalities by compromise, by different things, to have them leave their homes, leave the relationship they have with him, and enter the gates, not knowing that he's going to take more from them than they ever thought. And that statement that the gates of hell, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church simply means this, that the church is to walk into these communities. The church, this church is to walk into communities, walk into homes, teach Bible studies, reach people, and pull them out of the gates that are trying to keep you out. They're trying to keep us out. But a fulfillment of the promise is that the gates cannot keep this church out if there's someone who believes in the promise, if there's someone who's got the faith and believes that no one, no one is exempt from the power of God. That's that promise. And I pray that you'd receive that day. I pray that you would understand that in this community, the fulfillment of the promise is not just a new building, but the fulfillment of this promise is dominion. His dominion over the enemy. It's for this church to bring in hundreds upon hundreds of people into these doors and reaching them with this precious gospel that has changed my life, that has changed your life, that is true dominion when the chains of addiction will fall off as they lift their hands and worship their God. That is dominion. So no matter what it looks like, whether it's a personal war you're facing, whether it's this church's war, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, the dominion, the authority the devil may have in any person's life and in any city or territory cannot withstand your prayer. No dominion that the devil has. No, no, no person that the enemy has power, influence over can withstand when you begin to pray. 
because this isn't the church. You are the church. And so when you lift up the name of Jesus, they don't have to be in the service. When you lift up the name of Jesus and when you share Jesus, the chains of addiction can fall off people in a moment while you're sitting at Starbucks ordering your coffee. The chains of brokenness and pain can be cast off in just a conversation in their living room. I'm believing the Word of God is true and that He cannot lie. And I'm believing God for a breakthrough. I'm believing God for His power, for His mercy. And I'm believing God for dominion. I'm believing God for lost family members that will be saved. I'm believing brokenness will be healed. I'm believing that sickness will flee. I'm believing God for dominion in our world today, even though our world is so broken, even though our world is so vastly far from God. I'm believing that there is nothing and no one too far, and there's nothing too great for our God. Amen. If you would stand with me as I invite the music to come. I believe it. Maybe no one's feeling it, but I, I feel faith rising in this place. I believe that, that someone today has faith to step out and trust God for a promise. I believe that someone today has faith enough to stand against Call the armies, no matter how vast, no matter how great they look, and say, if God be for me, then who in this world could ever be against me? Because there's someone in this place, they're battling. And you're battling for your family. You're battling for your livelihood. You're battling for your health. You're battling, you're warring in your spirit. And I believe that today God is going to give us the faith that we need to see the promise fulfilled. But we have to start the pro we have to start the war today. The problem is the war doesn't start next week. The war doesn't start when we when we choose it to start. The war is in fact already underway. The battle is taking place. And this church is about to get I believe this. I believe this. This church is about to get messy with some fulfilled promises. This church is about to get pretty cramped with some fulfilled promises. There's not going to be enough seats in this place. I believe that today. I believe that there's... this. Church, listen, listen, listen. This church is going to get messy because the chains of addiction, the chains, the brokenness, the sin that people have are going to start falling off and they're going to be in this place and those chains will be here. And it's going to get messy because there's going to be fulfilled promise of restoration. There's going to be fulfilled promises of redemption, of forgiveness. There's going to be fulfilled promises. I believe that. But we have to, you have to war for your promise I want to be intentional today because I believe I believe there's people battling today I want to be intentional because the word of God tells us that life and death are on the power of the tongue and I want to speak for a moment I want to speak say a few things I want to pray faith over you I want to pray faith over situations and I'm not going to hit all of them but there's a couple that I felt in prayer this morning that I want to pray over and I want to speak life I want to speak a fulfillment of the promise. So if we would, let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes for a moment. And if I, what I'm praying, what, I, what I'm saying right now applies to you, I ask that you raise your hands as far as you can to heaven and that you'd accept this today and you'd allow God to move, allow God to fulfill His promise to you because that's what He wants to do. He wants to fulfill the promise that He's made to you. So if we'll bow our heads and close our eyes, I pray. 
Today, if you have family members that you want to see back in this church or back in the church in general in relationship with him, I ask that you lift your hands to heaven. I ask that you stretch your hands to heaven right now. Jesus, I pray that these faithful people will not be fooled by compromise. I pray their entire families come to you as you stand with open arms, ready to welcome them home. I pray for wayward daughters and prodigal sons, husbands, parents, nieces, nephews and cousins, and all different family members that are far from you. I pray, God, that you draw them back to you. And God, that we would see the promise fulfilled in our families, that you would draw your people, draw your sons and daughters back to you, Jesus. Today, if you need a deliverance from a sin and addiction, I ask that you raise your hands as high as you can to heaven. God, I pray liberty today. I pray deliverance right now, Jesus. I command the bondages and the weight of sin to be cast off. Jesus, we trust you and your promises that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. I believe today, God, you are breaking chains, removing bondage, and setting those captive free from their capture. God, I pray for those who need the gift of the Holy Ghost. We know the promises for all who call on your precious name. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would meet those that are hungry and fill them with your spirit. We trust you, God, that you are just to forgive. Hallelujah. If you need a healing today, raise your hands. Reach them to heaven. Keep our eyes our eyes closed and our heads bowed. And I believe God is moving. God's ready to do something here today. God, we pray for your will here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for sickness to flee, darkness to dissipate. We speak faith today, knowing that no sickness, no disease, no illness or fault is too great for you to heal and make whole. Again, Jesus, we trust you. I believe you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. These altars are open to anybody who's willing to war after the promise. For anybody who feels that God is ready to move in their life, we can begin to war today. But we've got to seek His face. We've got to find ourselves an altar, either up here at the front of your personal altar. We've got to war after the Spirit. We've got to war after the promise and know that the promise is fulfilled only when there's dominion. Only when all of our family members are saved. Only when there's complete removal and and freedom and liberty from addiction and chains. Hallelujah. Don't quit on the promise. Don't settle for compromise. Pursue and believe God for dominion over your circumstance. I wonder if there's someone today who's willing to war for the promise.